If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Angelo Tellerton. While Angelo's been a fellow of the British Horse Society, still is, he's really focusing now on conscious horsemanship, which is the bridge between theory and practice, and his focus is on equitation science. How are you, Angelo? I'm good. Good, good. Angelo, we normally start off with a quote from you. You know, it could be something that you use when you're teaching, something that's inspired you. Have you got one for us? Yeah, it's actually a quote that I use all the time when I either teach or yep. when I train horses. And it's from Albert Einstein. It's the definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. So whenever I teach, for example, I actually tell the students when I do clinic, when your instructor, after repeating one time, two times, three times, start getting a little bit excited and they start like, shouting a little stronger and kind of say, wait a minute, I told you four times, why are you not doing it? Then I always tell them to remind them that that's the definition of insanity. Mm -hmm. And you need to change something. You need to change the technique that you're using to teach. You need to change the learning style that you are sending the message. And then normally when you change that one, the student just, just get it right away. Yeah. Especially, for example, when you move from visual or verbal and you start teaching using kinesthetic principles, and then the students just get it right away. And for the horses, it's the same thing. Once you try, horses learn usually with three repetitions, they learn what you're asking. So if in very quickly they don't do what you're asking, instead of insisting with the same thing over and over, just change, change the setting, change something, stop a second, use equitation science like you were saying. So think what is the learning sequence that you are missing, restructure it, and normally the horses just get it right away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, when you first started this, you know, um, when you first learnt this about, you know, doing the same thing over and over, when you first started about equitation science, how were you introduced to it? I actually was lucky enough back uh, many, many years ago when I was finishing my graduation study. I was looking for a thesis for my master mm -hmm. and I found a professor and I always loved horses and I, it was difficult for me to find something related to those ones. And instead, I found a nice professor that gave me a thesis by the title of comparison between the horse training technique and the psychology of learning. And that basically was equitation science. Back then, it didn't even exist. Back then, it was even before the natural horsemanship, Pirelli, Roberts, etc. So I had the time to see all those developments happening. And then obviously, when equitation science was organized around 2003, 2004, that was like the perfect match for all my thinking and my research. And so I joined them later okay. on. Yep, yep, yep. 
All right, that makes sense. Now, what about how did you first start with horses? You know, because you, you've said that you were doing a master's because you already had the interest in horses. How did you actually start? What were your first memories of starting with horses? <laughs> I'm one of those poor kids that I think it's genetic. So I've decided that genetically people are born with this need. Mm-hmm. And when you see a horse, it doesn't matter which age, you're just attracted and you can't stop steering to the horse. Mm-hmm. Sort of like the same happened for like the sheepdogs. As soon as they see a sheep, they forget the mother and the siblings and they just focus on the working part. So um, none in my family is a horse person and my mother actually tried to stop me constantly to get near horses. Mm-hmm. So all my life was like a search to get to the horses. I even started that school to be able to get near the horses until I was lucky that when I was 22, 23, they opened an equestrian center very close to my house. So I was one of those kids that was telling mom that was going to university and then instead I was going to, but I was a good student. So she never realized that I wasn't actually doing a schoolwork. Because I've had a, a you know a couple of guests on that might wag school, but I haven't had any on that uh, have not gone to university and gone riding instead. And I really like the way that you compare people to a sheepdog who just have got that instinct. You know, some people like horses and some don't. Some people come from horse background families and some don't. Some just like yourself just come from nowhere and have just got that attraction to horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, when I graduated, my mother was sat close to me and she was kind of like saying, oh, now that you finally realized yourself, mm-hmm. you probably are going to give up to the horses and find a nice <laughs> job. And I said, mom, now that I pay my duty to the family, I'm going to go full time with the horses. <laughs> and then I asked her and I says, can you just tell me why you never want me to get close to the horses? And she said, because when you were close to a horse, your eyes were like so lost that I thought you would never finish your study. (laughs) (laughs) thought it was right. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. Now, you've focused on working with horses, career with horses. For someone who's just starting with horses, what do you think the core skills are or personality traits? I think that in the horse industry, there are so many little niche that Mm -hmm. anybody can find that uh, you don't really need to have uh, specific skills. You just need to learn what you're good at and learn your limitation too. So then you can like tailor-made um, a specific niche around horses. And pe- as long as you are hardworking, you are reliable. Reliability, I found that is a trait. It's important with horses. Horses depend on us. And a lot of employees... As long as you are reliable and you use your brain, you find a way to work in the horse industry from being a, a great show groom or even groom. Mm. Uh, I know people that make a career by braiding horses. Their braiding skills are, are exceptional and they just travel to horse shows and they get hired just for to braid horses. So especially here in America. Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah, just learn, learn your limitation, learn your, what you're good at, mm-hmm. and then tailor made a niche based on that. Yep. Yeah. All right. And what about people who excel, you know, who really are world leaders or people that excel and do much better than the general population in the horse industry? 
what skills do you think they've got above the general horse industry population or the keys? Yes. So I actually, I can test about it. Mm. Uh, so I can take this an example, which probably everybody knows. It's one of the latest great jumper that just came out in the industry. And his name is Alberto Zorzi. Yep. It's an Italian guy that went from nobody to one of the top rider in the world in, in two years, mm-hmm. working for young tops right now. And uh, I remember he was always like a little bit of a talented guy. And four years ago, five years ago, I was in his barn uh, with his trainer. They were giving me a horse to do a demo. And I remember that I test his um, hand skills, like the ability to maintain contact. Mm-hmm. Because I thought I thought he was younger back then and his horses were not super working super, very good on, in flat flat work so I thought he was um, he had like elbows uh, connection problem mm-hmm. and when I tested him I found one of the best greatest elbow I ever tasted uh, ability to follow contact that I mm-hmm. uh, that I found in the industry and I remember telling him then I realized that it was only lack of knowledge he was young and then I told him that when as soon as he will feel that gap he will go to the Olympic game and I want a ticket to get uh, to see him. He laughed <laughs> back then because he was like, yeah, right, it was never going to happen. Yep, um, yep, and yep. now it's actually a possibility. So I think that that's the thing. So everything, 90% of the communication that we use with horses goes through operant conditioning and especially when we ride them through negative reinforcement. The key of negative reinforcement is not actually the pressure that we use, but it's the ability to maintain a constant pressure so then we can release it at the right time so then the horse understands us. So I've noticed that the people that we say that have horse sense have that physical ability like he has, like Alberto has, to maintain the same contact so that mentally when they say no, it's like it's a constant no. And when they relax and say yes, it's clear and the horse understands it. So if you don't have that innate skill, mm-hmm. you can still learn it if you know what's about it. And mm-hmm. that's what equitation science is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good that you're coming in from that bit, but some of these words that you're using are going to, some of our listeners just aren't going to understand. So can you explain something like operant conditioning and also go on a bit further to talk about operant conditioning sequence? Yeah. So... To understand, to make people realize uh, what is about operant conditioning, the most important thing is we simply call it, for example, pressure and release of the pressure. Then that's a concept that a lot of people know. So if we want to have the horses to stop, for example, we apply pressure on the bit. And then as soon as the horse perform the task, we release of the pressure to say, yes, good boy. Most of us thinks that the important thing is the moment that you apply the pressure. Instead, in reality, is the moment that you release the pressure. So do we use another example. It's the game, the old game that we do of hot, hot, cold, cold to direct people to find something. So when we start the pressure, that's say to the horse to do something, do something, no, 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 hot, 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 hot. And then the horse start offering like multiple behaviors to see which one will stop the pressure and then as soon as the horse does the behavior that we're looking for for example slowing down or stopping then we release automatically the pressure so that's basically an example 
to explain like operant conditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Another example could be the, the join-up. It's actually, it was done you know, by a study from an Australian uh, researcher. So the join-up of Monty Roberts, where you have the horse into the round pen and you make them go around and then they say until the horse realizes that you are their leader and then they'll join you and then follow you. But in reality, science has proven that that's not the case because they used a a remote control car that was doing the same thing that the trainer and the horse joined the remote control car. Why? Because as long as you apply pressure by your body, launch line, whip, or the car that was chasing the horse, the horse ran away. And Mm. as soon as the horse was showing body language to go towards the person or towards the car, you stop the pressure and then the horse just repeat that action and goes towards the car or the person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So, so that was good. And, and I think that was used, I'm not 100% sure if it was the same study, but in training police horses to go towards vehicles rather than trying to get away. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of different. Yeah. So it's used towards police horses, for example, to train them to jump fire for mm-hmm. if, if they get stuck with people with Molotovs. Yep. Uh, same they have a jump with uh, a fire and then the more the horse canter towards the jump the more they turn the fire down mm-hmm. until the moment that they jump the fire gets turned off mm-hmm. so the horse learned that the behavior going towards the fire yep. take away the fire and then they repeat that action yep yep all right now you talked about negative reinforcement and i've heard some people say that within their training they don't use negative reinforcement. What have you got to say about that? Yes, so about negative reinforcement, uh, that's actually not true. Everybody that uh, deal, the train horses use negative reinforcement. The problem is that when Skinner invented it, uh, he uses the term negative as a minus, mathematical term. He wasn't thinking about negative as bad. And unfortunately, the majority of people think to negative as bad. And that's why they say, well, I'm not doing something bad to my horse. I'm not using a bad training, which is not the case. So if you're using a halter, for example, a rein, if you use lag, you are using negative reinforcement. If when you pull the lead line, you apply pressure to the neck of the horse, that's the reinforcer. And then the horse follows you to remove that pressure, and that's negative reinforcement. The negative reinforcement is not necessarily bad. We are subjected by our cars to negative reinforcement. Every time that we hop on a car, the cars start beeping, beep, 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 until we put the seat belts on. When we put the seat belts on, the beeping stops. Mm-hmm. And that's a negative reinforcement sequence. So again, negative reinforcement doesn't mean bad as long as we apply it correctly. Okay. Okay. All right. And what about people who've helped you? Like you talked about, you know, a very, very nice person who supervised your masters. Anyone else that you'd like to talk about that you think, right, they've really helped me and guided me in the direction along this train of thought and towards equitation science? Guide myself, you mean? or Yeah, guiding yourself, I think. Yes. Um, I actually, I would like to talk about a, a person that is a book, most, mostly like a book, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of people, a lot of this guy, guidance that I had was mostly like little discovery here and there, just following the theory of open conditioning that are kind of written everywhere. 
and they're highly used with mammals and like dogs and dolphins. So there wasn't a specific like person that guide me through the implementation of uh, equitation science because like I said, I started many, many, many years ago this journey. Mm -hmm. But the one person that actually I found out that has a book that has, quote, nothing to do with equitation science, but in reality, it is like written as an empiric book that he didn't know it, but every step that he, the training steps that he described in his book is like a solid application of learning theory. So that's what helped me because I was following in my career this book. All my knowledge about horse training was mirroring what I was learning for this book. And then I realized once I learned the theory that it was just like theory foolproof. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The author is Anthony Paulman and oh, yeah. it's called Train Go Jumper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. We've had that book, not in relation to learning theory, you know, but to do with training show jumpers. And I think someone said that it was, there was a lot of flat work in it. You know, it wasn't just all about yes. training no, show no, no. jumpers. It's, it's called training show jumpers, yeah. but it has so much, not only flat work, but like lunging. How do you start lunging a horse? How do you start mm -hmm. putting a saddle on the horse? Your first year of riding is a lot of flat work. Your show jumping part is like how do you, do you can teach your horse to jump basically on his own by learning what he's doing and not by you micromanaging. And this book actually helped me uh, I'm, lately, I've been having fun taking horses to horse show and doing demonstration, jumping with the collar, without bridle. Yep. And um, I can do that because all my horses have been training following this book where the horse learned to jump on his own and has basically almost zero intervention by the rider. Yep, yep. All right. Now, just talking about books, and I know you've got a saying, um, theory without practice is useless and practice without theory is senseless. Can you talk a bit about that, about the combination of practice and theory? Yeah. So, again, I, one example, I, I mentioned it already, which is like the join up. So if I do my practice and I do something that works and I think that it works for the wrong reason, then when I teach it, I am not be able to transfer that concept to my students and then they can get in trouble. So if I ramp in my horse and the horse suddenly join me and I think that is because he's recognized me as a leader, then the message that I'm sending is that I, that I become a leader of the horse and that's why the reason that the horse is going to follow my training. That's actually dangerous because that's opened the door to do the same thing over and over, expecting the famous different result. Because you are thinking that the horse, if things don't work, you're thinking that the horse is challenging your leadership. So you keep doing the same thing, just harder and stronger, just to assert your leadership, which is not the case. The horse is just don't, not understanding. And so if you do more of the wrong thing, you're going to keep having a wrong result. Mm -hmm. So practice without the theory behind, you don't really know why it works, so you can make a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Theory without practice is senseless, too. I've seen, sometimes I laugh with my colleagues and I say, well, why on earth you set up that experiment? Like, it has no sense, has yep. no meaning. Yep. And even if you find a result, it's not going to be useless because 
who on earth is going to have like a lab setup like you did when I go in the warm-up arena, it's not going to help me in any case knowing what you just found out. Mm-hmm. So some theory, if it doesn't come from practice, then it's like it's it's useless. Like you, yeah. you don't know what to do. Yep, yep, yep. So you really need the theory and the practice that complement each other. Yes. Yep. And actually, it's one of the threats that scientists has in their like to-do list when they need to do an experiment yep. but we all we most forget so the two things that happens is that the most important things when you do an experiment is that is this should be replicable mm-hmm. so anybody just following what you wrote should be able to replicate that experiment and most of the time is not the case because like i said it didn't come from a practical standpoint it just remained theory Okay, okay. Now, within the field of equitation science, have you met with resistance to your thoughts? And, you know, what's been your biggest challenge to do with the resistance or, you know, people just not understanding what you're doing? Yes, actually. Well, first of all, I start really, really early with this discovery. So back then, even before equitation science, before Parelli, before uh, Roberts, before the natural horsemanship, it was even more difficult. When I was saying that if the horse was misunderstanding them and not being bad or being aggressive or challenging, people would laugh at me. Still now, nowadays, it's hard to sometimes explain people that horses learn very, very quick. Uh, with three repetitions, they learn it and they remember forever. Instead, Still, people is convinced that the horses needs a lot of repetition and they're always trying to challenge our leadership. That's why they don't want to follow our requests. So in those scenarios, it's hard to understand that the path is different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people, especially competition people, they think that because they've seen certain techniques, they think that those ones are the one that works. And they think that the path of learning theory is like long, it's windy, it's, it doesn't get them anywhere. And instead, when I finally get the chance to work with some of top trainer, their minds just open and they're like, oh my God, why didn't I do it sooner? That is actually, it's helping me to get faster and get more clear around mm-hmm. and have horses happier. Yeah, good, good. What do you think has been your proudest moment? My proudest moment? Mm. Well, the next one has to come. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I just finished my PhD, um, mm-hmm. so that could be one, mm-hmm. like a week ago. Okay. I, I, I was oh, finally brilliant. able to, like, yep. serious PhD. What specifically was the question, the field of study that you did in your PhD? I did, uh, I kept doing this one. So mm-hmm. it yep. was basically, I tried to come up with a special technique that you could use follow learning theory to solve horses that has problems, for example, with needle shy and clippers or, or any kind of like behavioral problems to the work. So I designed some sort of scenarios where you can use the, the technical term. It's called differential negative reinforcement of an incompatible behavior. Mm-hmm. But in an easy word, it would be, for example, if a horse has problem with the injection, I teach the horse that the behavior that is actually stopping me from doing the injection is the standstill. And so when I approach the horse with the syringe, 
the horse is all happy because it just frees there thinking mm. that he's stopping me. But at the same time, I can get the injection done while he's thinking that he's stopping me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, instead of just going in with the needle, the horse misbehaves, so you put the needle away. Yes, yeah. you put the needle away or you pull out the twitch, you start hitting the horse, the, mm. cur- the chain, mm-hmm. and you start like um, either punishing the horse for yep. misbehaving yep. or restraining the horse with yep. the twitch, mm-hmm. um, lip, yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, that's good. Now, what do you think if you, you know, just if you've got one training tip that you're going to give, I know you're full of training tips, you you know, you've got a, an absolute, um, you know, encyclopedia of knowledge, but one training tip that you think if you often see, you know, when you're out at a competition, if you could just teach one tip to, to riders that would improve, you know, improve the lives of horses, improve horse welfare, what would that be? Well, the generic one, I give you a generic one mm, and a please. specific one. Yes. So the generic one is, please remember that horses learn really, really fast. After three times that you do the same thing, the horse has learned it and it will not forget forever. That's Mother Nature made them like elephants because like elephants, they roam. And so they need to remember everything they have been. So if after three times that you do the same thing and the horse hasn't learned, stop what you're doing and restructure it because you're going to just end up in, in, in a black hole. Mm-hmm. And that's the generic one. Yep. The practical one, I have two exercises, one for generic use, which is it's called the jambon. Yep. I found out that launching horses with the jambon sort of train the horse to look and find comfort into a more natural position Mm -hmm. and then when you ride them they're so willing to repeat them that the riding becomes much easier i have often had uh, eventer or jumper or even dressage people they were telling me and I couldn't go and help them, but they were telling me, uh, I don't know, dressage people, they were having trouble with jumping at the canter, flying changes, uh, show jumping people. They were having, I have always like one or two rails, one or two rails, of course, I can't really fix it. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them if they didn't, I was asking them, have you ever launched a horse with the jumbo? And then I would say, well, start launching it for a month or two and then call me again and then I'll come out there if you still have problems. And most of the time, the problems were gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that would be like my practical tip that I would give to someone. Yeah. There are other ones, but they're complicated. They, they need my supervision. Sure. Uh, this one doesn't. Sure, sure. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory with practical components that can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Thanks. What are you looking forward to now that you've finished your PhD? What are you looking forward to? Well, well, now <laughs> the immediate goal is we are organizing the international Society of Equitation Science Conference in Rome mm-hmm. because it's 150 year of uh, the Caprilli, yep. uh, the anniversary yes. of Caprilli. So I'm hoping that everybody will come there. It's going to be hopefully super nice in Rome. And that's my like immediate goal. My endless goal 
in life lately has become this one. I do jump and I compete brideless without a bridle. Yep. And uh, I find a lot of pleasure and uh, I find a lot of challenge and it's very rewarding. So my goal in life is competition has gone so much high in demanding uh, physical activity in horses that is hard to find an older competitive horse that doesn't have physically problems. Mm -hmm. So instead, if we push, instead of pushing on the horse's limit, the horse that jumps the highest, the dressage horse that bounces the most, the most uh, if we push instead on trainability, so we all uh, go into a horse show and compete without a bridle and whoever has a horse obviously that listen the most is going to win the most. And that will shift from the actual like purchasing a horse to training. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll be rewarded for being a good trainer and not sometimes having the money to go find the best horse that brings you to the highest. Yep, yep. Okay, and I think that's coming from a, a unique perspective, you know, teaching trainability. And I think it's that would be a good spectator sport as well. Yes, yeah, yes. And I have a whole, like, I've developed a whole, like, sequence, so it still remains safe. So mm. you don't mm. go directly without a bridle. You have yep. a chance to compete with the bridle as a backup. Mm -hmm. You're, obviously, you, you get penalties if you start with the bridle or if you touch the rein, but you're still safe. Yep. But at the same time, you work towards um, jumping in freedom. And if uh, the audience wants to go to my YouTube and put my name, it will come out a couple of courses that I did at a regular horse show. So they have the idea of what I'm talking about and looking mm. forward. Mm. Okay. How can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today so our listeners have got something to take away with them, um, think about for the rest of the day? Yes. Always look for, we basically just said, theory without practice is useless, practice without theory is senseless. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like uh, has been my philosophy with horses. Look for exercises and try to understand when a teacher and trainer tell you to do something, always trying to ask why. And so if you know why things are happening, then you will be able to reproduce them and then repeat them okay. and then vice versa don't get too much into reading about those big theories there are every month a new theory is coming out mm -hmm. about leadership about this about that those are mostly gimmick that people trying to come out with uh, to get money and um, so don't fall into that trap just be real everything has to be real with mm -hmm. horses mm -hmm. uh, remember that we are at a turning point like it happened in the dog world about 10, 15 years ago. 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was normal for dog racing, for example, sled, mm -hmm. uh, using the whip, okay. like a strong whip. Yep. Now it's like forbidden. All mm -hmm. dogs have to be happy when they perform. Yep. We're lucky that horses don't show unhappiness when we ride them that easy, but the public opinion is catching up mm -hmm. with YouTube and a lot of videos that goes around. So soon we will not be able to perform with the horses if they're not happy mm -hmm. and most of the horses at olympic level if someone look deeper they're very unhappy athlete so we need to get to focusing more on 
the training aspect mm -hmm. than the performance aspect. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I think that that's good. Certainly something for people to think about. Angelo, how can people contact you? Uh, there is, I have a website, so mm -hmm. it's www.angelotelatin.com. Um, that's one way. Uh, and there, there are like my email, there is my email, my Facebook, uh, through Facebook. Uh, I never liked my name, <laughs> but I found out that it's the only one in it's the unique, world. It's so unique, yeah, if yeah. If you Google my name and last name, <laughs> I'm the only one that comes out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so nowadays with internet, it's it's easy. Okay, Angela, we'll also have those details on your page at horsechats.com slash Angelo Teleton. And uh, I'd like to get the link also to Rome, you know, to the... Um, the ISIS in Rome, you know, Caprilli 150 years, I think it should be a good one. So we'll put that link on there as well if people are interested yes. in going to Rome. Yep. Yeah. All right. Look, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much. And I've really enjoyed just the combination of the practical, the science and some of your thoughts and also just the way that you've been able to explain a bit more to people about the operant conditioning sequence and also the real, you know, even the beginning of the words negative reinforcement, realising that, you know, negative reinforcement is essential in training. And I like your idea about going forward and having competitions for trainability rather than just pushing the horses to the limits. Rather, it should be more pushing the training to the limits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks very much for talking to us today and um, hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Yeah, thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 